good morning. Many of you woke up with a black and gold headache this morning from the game last night. I thought Iowa represented very well, and it was a tough game, but uh, life goes goes on, doesn't it? Uh, we've been talking. We've really been asking the question for the last few weeks. We've we've been asking the question: This, this is it. That if God reboots our lives, when He gives us a new heart, when He when He turns our heart and opens our eyes, what happens? What happens in us? What happens in a thing the community calls the church? And what happens in this, the community that the church lives in? And we, we're looking at the church of Corinth. And we're saying, what happened in the church of Corinth? And what, what, what happened in the city of Corinth? As these people, God rebooted their hearts. He changed their lives. And what happens in a city when that takes place? And we're looking at Corinth, but we're thinking about the application for us here in Dubuque and the tri-state area. What happens when God changes our lives? And changes our hearts. And a few things we looked at. First, we said, it's kind of like when you get your phone or your computer, you get a software upgrade. You get a new operating system. And this new operating system is different than all the other operating systems. It's different than the operating system of this world. It goes in many ways counter to the operating system of the world. Uh, You know, it's it's, I, I dance to a different drummer. You know, I follow a different master. Secondly, we, we said we get a new guide, and not a guide who just walks with us, though that's kind of pictured in Scripture, but one that lives within us, the Holy Spirit. So we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us to guide us and lead us and direct us in our lives. And then number three, we talked about maturity, that we grow, that this isn't some static thing that takes place, but we, we tend to take steps of growth. It's not always pretty, and it's not always like a direct, but, but, but little by little, day by day, as we allow the Word of God and the Spirit of God to work in our hearts. And we, we don't just gain knowledge and we just don't gain time, but we gain in obedience to what we know. And as we grow in obedience, we begin to grow in our faith. And then last week we talked about this. Uh, I, I likened it to this world culture, this pop culture, especially this American pop culture, this is the one we live in, that it, when you cross a stream, you'll know this if you've ever crossed a stream uh, or a river, that uh, some parts of it are pretty easy. There's not a lot of, and usually it's right on the edges, you know, if it's shallower on the edges. But then when you get in the middle of the stream, it gets, the current gets stronger, and it's a little harder, and you have to work a little bit harder, and you can get, you can get pulled by the current. And uh, we're in one of those. We talked about one of those last weekend. It was the idea of remaining sexually pure, because we live in a culture that basically has pretty much given up on that. In fact, it, it makes fun of people that, that try to walk against the current and say, you know what, why are you trying to live a pure life? Why are you trying to live a moral life? Just, just don't worry about it. As long as you don't hurt anybody, nobody cares. And you would say, well, that's for those who aren't uh, followers of Jesus Christ. But yet, survey after survey, uh, study after study shows that Christians are kind of right along the rest of the world. We're caught up in the current. And... Uh, uh, you know, I, I, an example, I just uh, read it this last week, and I thought, well, there's an example of what I was just talking about. Many of you uh, who follow uh, football know the name Tim Tebow. He was a, a, a quarterback in Florida in college and was in the pros for a number of years, and whether he will be in the pros again is left to anyone to guess. But uh, recently, he's been dating, as of last week, he was dating Miss Universe, Olivia Culpo. And, uh, however, she broke up with him. 
And it's interesting as to why she broke up with him. She broke up with him because he determined and said, we're going to remain, I'm going to remain celibate, celibate until marriage. And that wasn't, she wasn't good with that. Now, think about that. Um, most men would say, I respect Tim Tebow as a football player, but are you kidding me? It's Miss Universe. You won't sleep with Miss Universe? Are you kidding me? What, what is wrong with you? But that's our culture. And Tim Tebow has chosen to go against the culture, the current of our culture. And he's, people would say, oh, that's foolish. That's, why would you even do that? That's the world we live in. But see, when your heart has been rebooted, when your life has been changed, when you have a new, new Lord in heaven, then those things happen. <laughs> and you can't explain it to the world because they don't get it. They don't get it. Uh, this weekend, we're going to look at uh, when Jesus shows up, we become servant slaves. We begin to follow a new king. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. And he's come to earth and he saved us. And we're, we're thankful for that. And we, as he gave his life to us, we give our life to him. And Jesus said to his disciples, come follow me. And when, when people made excuses, he said, well, go take care of your excuses because unless you're ready to follow me now, you can't. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. You're either with me or you're not. So we want to look at what does it mean when we, we have this new Lord and we, have, we are now servant slaves of this new Lord. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It's on page 875 of your chair Bible. There's usually a Bible near you under the seat. At, on page 875, you'll find the passage I'm going to be reading. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 19. So 919 of 1 Corinthians. And Paul says this, Even though I am free, a free man with no master, I become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with, with those who followed Jewish law, I too lived under the law. Even though I am not subject to the law, I did so so that I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from the law so that I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news or gospel and to share it, share in its blessings. So when Jesus shows up in your life, we get better and better at giving our lives away and using our freedom to help people take one step closer to Christ. That's essentially what Paul's saying. That's how he used his freedom. He used his freedom to say, I will become a Jew when I'm with Jewish people if I have to. I'll become a Gentile with Gentile people. I'll become poor if I'm with poor people. I'll become whatever I need to be so that those folks can hear the gospel and cross the line of faith or take one step closer to Jesus. In other words, he's saying, I will do whatever it takes to help people across the line of faith to know Christ. Now, how are you or are you a servant slave today? You know, one of the most uh, unconventional principles that are taught, that's taught in the scriptures is this, that we find freedom by becoming a slave. 
Scripture does that all the time. It says things that are almost upside down. And, and essentially, our culture says you find freedom by being able to do whatever you want, wherever you want, with whomever you want. Uh, you have no restrictions. You have no, nothing to tie you down. But what Scripture says, no, you find freedom when you, you, you make yourself a slave of Jesus, a servant of Jesus. It's simply this. Freedom comes from becoming a servant slave. And we often think of slavery as bondage, and it is. And uh, we may think, you may think, well, I'm not really a slave. I'm not really a servant of anyone or anything. But we are all servants. We are all slaves to some degree or another to someone or something. Let me give you a couple of illustrations, and you'll see what I mean. Uh, you may be, uh, and it may be you're here today, and you're a slave or you're a servant to acceptance. So you'll do whatever you, you'll do anything to fit in, to belong, to be loved. You'll lie, you'll compromise your morals, you'll find yourself saying and doing things that you would have never believed you could ever do, all because of a deep need, insert slavery here, to be accepted and loved. You ever done that? Have you ever compromised your values because you, you're desperate to be accepted? You want to be loved? You'll, you'll give in, you'll, you'll, you had a moral compass, but you throw it away because you say, I just want to be loved. I just want to be accepted by this person. Maybe you're a slave to your passions. Many Americans are slaves to freedom. Uh, and that's the cry of America. I want to be free. I want to do whatever I want with whomever I want. Uh, and, and hopefully I won't hurt anybody, but if I do, I didn't mean to, and I'm sorry. But, uh, what if my, Think about that. That, that. That's kind of a ludicrous uh, assumption in the first place to say that you're not that you're free and you're free to do whatever you want. If you're going to excel at anything, if you're going to accomplish anything, it means you have to give up your freedom. For instance, let's say that, for instance, you want to be a musician. You want to play a guitar or the violin or the piano, the keyboard, or the drums. You say, I wish I did that. Well, how's that going to happen? Is it going to happen because you wish it? It's going to happen because you desire it. It's going to happen when you decide that you have a bunch of free time every year, all year long, every day, and you decide I'm going to discipline myself to not watch TV, not do other things that I'm doing that may, you know, and they may be good things, but I've determined that I'm going to focus on this. I'm going to give up my freedom so that I can do this. In other words, you have to give up your freedom to accomplish something. The same is true if you're a good athlete. A good athlete has to get up. They have to get out of bed. They, many times early. They have to train hard all day long. They have to lift weights. They have to eat properly. They have to recover. They have to study. There, there's a whole litany of things you have to do to be good at it. In other words, you give up your freedom to excel. It's true in life. It's true in life. So when you say... I want to be free. You can be free, but if you want to uh, excel, you excel as you give up your freedom and you uh, become uh, a slave, a servant of something else. So you become a servant or slave of practice for an instrument or in sports or whatever your career or whatever else. There's others. There is other slaves that we have. We're slaves to a lot of things. Beauty is one. Uh, but uh, beauty is fleeting, isn't it? Um, after all, wasn't 
the saying, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? And the mirror said, you ain't. <laughs> uh, and some of you looked in the mirror today and you said, yeah, uh, where's that makeup? Where's, you know, I've got to fix my hair. I've got, and, or I don't have more hair to fix. And, and, you know, it's your body's telling you you're losing the beauty battle, right? It's just part of life. Beauty is fleeting. Or health and fitness, you say, well, I'm going to eat right, I'm going to, I'm going to eat these proper foods, it's all going to be all natural and all da- you know, no dairy, and you know, I, uh, don't, don't come to me and talk to me about it. I'm just making an illustration here. And you're going to exercise, and I'm going to go, and, and you're, you're in great shape, and, and you realize that as you go down the road after five years or ten years, that you're still in great shape, but you're not as fast as you used to be. You're not as, you can't jump as high as you you're, you're gaining a little extra weight. It's harder to keep that weight off. It takes more time. And you realize you're losing the battle. Your body is saying to you, you don't win this game in the end. You don't win. Now, again, there's nothing wrong with pursuing to try to be beautiful and to try to, you know, be good and a good athlete or in shape or eat correctly and all those things. But when those things become it, they become really harsh because you look in the mirror and your mirror tells you you're not beautiful. You, 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 you see your gut. You, 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 you realize your body's telling you you're, you're never going to be in the shape that you were. Quit, quit kidding yourself. In the end, these are all good things, but they, when they become ultimate things, when, when they become your master and they start failing you, you go, now what? You see, there's only one master who won't abuse you, because these masters will all abuse you. The mirror will abuse you. The scale will abuse you. Um, the people that you want to find that love and acceptance, they will abuse you, because they're looking for the same thing from you. There's only one master who won't abuse you, and his name is Jesus. And, and, and that's the one that we look to, and that's the one we follow. So Paul basically was saying, I have become a slave now, he was a free man in the Roman Empire. So in the Roman Empire, there were slaves. Paul was a free man. And he pointed that out one time when they were actually arrested him and said, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. You can't do this. I'm not a slave. So he was a free man, but he, he was saying, I'm willing to become a slave to the Jews. I'm willing to become a slave to the Gentiles. I'm willing to become a slave to the downtrodden. Because I, my goal is to become a slave to them in a sense that I will understand them, I will live with them, I will, under, I will bring the gospel to them. And Paul was trying to bring the gospel, the good news, to the Jews. So when he came to the Jews, he would live like a Jew. He would keep the law. But his whole goal was to bring the gospel. When he lived with the Gentiles, he... He, he didn't worry about the law because they didn't worry about the law. Now, his point was, I never violated the Scripture. I never broke the Scripture. But there's laws that were fulfilled with Jesus, and they're not necessary to follow. Now, the Jews feel compelled to follow them. And when I'm with the Jews, I'm not going to, you know, say, well, you don't have to do that anymore. I'm just going to say, okay, I'll follow the laws with them. It doesn't really matter. But when I'm with the Gentiles and they understand, hey, we're not under the law anymore. We're not going to follow the law. I'm not going to worry about that. I'm going to be, be with the Gentiles, and that's okay. In other words, Paul would adapt his style and, and adopt the culture without compromising the gospel. And that's so important. 
that we understand the culture, that we, we adapt to the culture, and we adopt the customs, but we don't compromise the gospel. Now, here's the problem we run into. We live in a culture. You don't know it because you're like a fish in a bowl. That's all you've known is your culture, whatever it is. If you've grown up in Dubuque, in this community, you just know Dubuque in this community. That's your culture. And you're a Dubuquer. And, uh, but we're all Americans, most of us here, but we all, but my point is we all have a culture and it's almost impossible. It's, when you tell a fish, you know, you're in water, they go, what's water? You know, I, I'm just, it's, it's part of who I am. It's part of my culture. But here's the problem. When we're trying to reach our culture, we can compromise the message that we're trying to bring. And we compromise the message that we try to bring when we uh, live lives that are in violation of the teachings of the Scriptures. See, one of the early struggles that the church had, and the church in the book of Acts, you're seeing you know, people say, well, we're going we're gonna to run our church by the book of Acts. And I'm going, when? Like Acts chapter 2 or Acts chapter 15 or Acts chapter 20? Because the church is going through a whole bunch of transitions through the book of Acts. It, it's developing. It's learning. Uh, Acts chapter 2, what happens on the day of Pentecost? Peter preaches. He shares the good news, and it says 3,000 people converted and came to Christ. They were generally mostly Jewish people. So the question is, what happens now with the Gentiles? And that was a real struggle in the early church. You, you see that struggle being played out in the book of Acts. What happens with the Gentiles? Do they have to be circumcised to be in? Who's in? Who's out? How do you get in? And the question was, and so the, the, the conventional wisdom at that time was, well, the Jews are in because they're God's people and they're circumcised. The Gentiles, yeah, I guess they could be in, but they're going to be kind of the second tier uh, Christians. The Jews are going to be the first tier. The Gentiles are going to be second tier, but they have to be circumcised. So there's, there's a real debate going on. And, of course, they didn't have to be circumcised. That was a requirement of the old law that Jesus fulfilled, so it wasn't necessary. And if you read through Acts chapter 15, they had a Jerusalem council and James the brother of Jesus was there. He was overseeing the council, and basically the council came to the point and said, no, Gentiles don't have to be circumcised. They have the same Holy Spirit as we do. And they're brothers and sisters in Christ. They're equal partners. Nothing has to happen. That, that's essentially what the judgment of the council was. But Peter struggled with this. Barnabas struggled with this. In fact, Paul calls them out. And they're going through this transitional time in the church where they're trying to figure out Who's in, who's out, and how does that play out? And if you want, uh, I'd encourage you, you can turn to, well, I have the verse that will be up there, Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. Uh, let me read it to you, because basically Paul takes Peter and Barnabas, mainly Peter, to task. And what he's doing here is this. What's going on here? Uh, at one point, Peter was acting different. So he would sit down and eat with the Gentiles. But when a Jewish, when the Jewish uh, people came in and they were uh, friends of Barnabas, when they came in, <clears throat> he would uh, shun the Gentiles. It's like, okay, I wasn't really with them and I wasn't really eating with them because that was anathema. That was not a good thing. So he kind of tried to cover that up. So in other words, he was playing favorites. He was being racist, essentially, is what it comes down to. And Paul calls him, by the way, 
uh, there was a faith tradition. I was raised in it that said Peter was the first pope, and I understand the tradition of that. But as I read Scripture, I see James is a leader in Acts chapter 15 for the early church. I see Paul is a leader here because he's calling Peter out of his behavior. Now, Pete, don't get too hard on Peter. Peter's learning, and it's it, the, the gospel, the implications of the gospel are being learned and understood. But notice what he says. This is, uh, this is Galatians chapter 2. He says, But when Peter came to Antioch, I had opposed him to his face for what he had did was very wrong when he first arrived and ate with the Gentile Christians who were not circumcised. But afterwards, when some friends of James came, uh, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people. These were the Jewish people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. Again, they're in this transition of does a Gentile have to be circumcised or not to be in? And essentially the Jewish audience says yes. They determined at the council no, that wasn't the case. He goes on to say this. He was afraid of of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. Circumcision. As a result, other Jewish Christians follow Peter's, notice, hypocrisy, and you could put in racism, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So Peter call, or Paul calls Peter out. In other words, he's saying, Peter, you're compromising the gospel here. You're, you're, this is not what the gospel says. And, and so Peter finally came and understood. But Paul showed Peter and Barnabas that, that eating with the Gentiles might make the Jews mad, but it didn't compromise the gospel. The Gentiles were full-fledged followers of Jesus, and the Jews needed to get back on board with that truth. Jews, Jews and Gentiles are equal partners in the good news, and that's good news for most of us today, because I assume most of us are Gentiles. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. So that's good news for many of us. Uh, but the point is we must not compromise the message uh, with our lives. And, and that's the point that I, I really want to focus on. If, if somebody were to say to you, uh, because today uh, the, the, the message of the, the, the balance is this. We're trying to bring the good news to our community, to our families, our coworkers, our friends, our neighbors. And we compromise the gospel. And the, the number one way we compromise the gospel is we're really no different than our culture. When we say to them, uh, you need Jesus, and they go, why? Because he'll help you live a moral life. And you go, they look at you and they say, but you're not living a moral life. And they say, well, uh, then you won't, you won't, you you know, the point is, they look at your life and they say, listen, I know you. You're not much different than me, other than you go to church. So what? Many pastors, missionaries, and Christians are bringing shame on the good news because they live lives that that compromise the gospel. Your actions, your words compromise the gospel. So, you know, I I came across this this story this last week. Uh, Tom Miller, he's a 60-year-old Christian pastor in uh, Mansfield, Ohio. He married his teenage bride and got her pregnant. So you say, well, listen. He married a teenage girl, 60-year-old, marrying a teenage, kind of weird, you know, had a child. Yeah, it's, you know, kind of... But here's the, here's the kicker. Who's already married. He has a 44-year-old wife. He said, well, what does she think? Well, let me read Tom's words. 
this is Tom's, and, you know, whether it's true or not. I mean, they, the three of them live together, okay? So he's got a teenage wife with a kid and a 44-year-old wife. And it says, this is what Tom says, the whole situation works for all three of us. Yeah, I don't think so. I'm the one who's allowed to have more. Than, I'm the only one who is allowed to have more than one partner. Yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense. And both of my wives understand and appreciate that. Yeah, I don't really think so. Now, you say, well, what's wrong with that? Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2, because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. It doesn't say wives or husbands, plural. In other words, one husband, one wife, no more. If this man is a Christ follower, he has lost all credibility to the gospel and I believe he's in direct violation of Scripture. But, but we could talk about Tom, we can talk about other people. The question is, how is it with you? You know, people are watching you. Are, are you willing to adapt and, and bring the good news in a way that they can hear it without compromising it? Sometimes we, we adapt it so far that we lose the gospel. And people say, well, I, 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 your, your life is shouting so loud I can't even hear the gospel, what you're saying. The question is, are you compromising the gospel by your life? If you were to share the gospel to your, with your friends or your family or coworkers and neighbors, would they look at you and say, you? You want to tell me about God? Paul said, I have become a slave to the Jews. I have become a slave to the Gentiles without compromising the gospel. That's the hard part. The hard part is, it's two things you have to do there. Is number one, you have to understand who you're trying to reach and make the connection with them, but also make the connection without compromising the truth of the gospel. That's a hard thing to do, but what it's what we're called to do. Second question I want to answer is this, and we'll close with this: is uh, should I ever limit my freedom? Paul says this. This is First Corinthians eight nine. But you must be careful so that your freedom does not cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. We, we use some tr- translations say a weaker brother to stumble. So Paul was saying there are times when a Christian will limit their freedom because of a weaker brother or sister. They, they don't want to hurt them. They don't want to cause a, be a stumbling block for them. Uh, so the question is, who's the weaker brother or sister? So let me give you the cultural thing that's going on here. One of the cultural things that's going on there. So it was very common in Corinth and other places for people, when they worshipped, to take meat to the temple and offer this meat to idols. Okay? As an offering, they would bring the meat and they would put it there and it would be offered to idols. Uh, Afterwards, that meat would be taken and brought into the marketplace and it would be sold. Okay? Okay. So, the question was, if you were a Christian, could you go to the marketplace and they would say, this meat has been offered to the idols and this hasn't, Uh, could you eat that meat that was offered to the idol? Just as your general meal, was it okay for a Christian to do that? And Paul answered that and said, yes, it's okay for you to do that. Because there is no such thing as an idol. An idol is, is you know, some idea. It's like uh, we would believe there's ghosts. And some of you say, well, there are ghosts. Okay, let's not get into that discussion. But Paul's point is, there are no idols, 
If your conscience is clear, go ahead, grab the meat, eat it. You're not worshiping the idol, and, and you can eat that. However, if you came out of that tradition, and you used to take meat up to the temple, and you saw that meat there, you would feel like, I don't know if I can eat that meat. I feel like there's a my conscience won't allow me to do that. And I would never buy that meat, and I'll never eat that meat, because... They're new Christians, and they don't understand the connection that an idol is an idol. They haven't grown. They're not at a place. And so if you were to invite them over to your house, it would not be loving to you to say, Hey, take a bite of the meat. I just got it at the market. It just was offered to an idol. That's a, that's a, you know, let me give you a more contemporary illustration. Let's say that uh, you have a friend who has struggled with alcoholism their whole life. You haven't. It's never been an issue with you. You'll have a drink every now and then, and it's not a big deal. You'll have a beer every now and then, or wine with your meal, or something like that. And Of course, the Bible says that drunkenness is a sin, but drinking isn't. But we need to be very careful about that in our culture. So you have this friend over, and you realize that they're... they're, they're um, They've been sober for a long period of time, and they realize they can't take another drink. If they take another drink, it's just they're, they're, they're done. And so you know this inviting them there. Now, you, you probably wouldn't offer them a beer or a drink because that would be kind of not real nice, right? And it may be that you would say, you know what, I have the liberty to have a beer, have a a glass of wine with my meal, but you know what, I'm bringing Bob here, and Bob's struggling with that, and and I'm just not going to put him in a position where that makes him feel uncomfortable, so I'm going to withhold my freedom so that I don't cause a stumbling block for him. That's what we're talking about here. But we do it out of love. Basically, what Paul's saying is sometimes because we're a servant slave of him, we're willing to give up our rights because we care about the people around us and we'll do whatever it takes to help them take one step closer to Jesus. We'll go to their world. We'll try to understand their struggles. We'll try to love them and, 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 and help them. We won't compromise the gospel. We won't compromise it, our lives with that. But we will, there's lines, in other words, there's lines we will not cross, but we will cross some lines to get there. Now, there are some people, so that's the weaker brother. The weaker brother is a person who is a new Christian, who's struggling with this, but you, and you're, you're not, you're not a weaker brother. You, you don't struggle with this. It's not an issue with you. It's not a conscience thing. But you, you don't flaunt it in front of them. You don't, cause them to stumble because of your freedom you give up your freedom so you don't cause them to stumble now here's there are some people though that that are professional weaker brothers and they like to impose their moral ethic on everyone else's life they like to call the strikes and the balls in your life they like to tell you what you can and can't do pastors are notorious for that they like to get up and say, you can do this, you can't. Well, they generally don't say you can. They generally say you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. So it's all about what you can't do. And, and there's a, a moral code that you have to follow. It's not necessarily, 
it, it, generally, it doesn't follow the Scripture. It's their interpretation of the Scripture. But they would say, you, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. And they have been Christians for, you know, a long time. They know the Bible very well. Uh, but, however, they have come to the place of plain Pharisee in everyone's life. So they have a moral code that they believe not only they should follow, but everyone else around them should follow. And if you don't follow their moral code, they'll say, oh, wait a minute, you're, 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 you're offending me, the weaker brother. And I'm thinking, no, you're not a weaker brother. You're a Pharisee. <laughs> That's your problem. And so you have to be careful. We're not talking about somebody who's struggling and has come out of meat offered to idols or alcoholism. We're talking about somebody who just likes to, 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 to say, this is the way every Christian must live according to my, my, my ethic. And if you don't, then there's something wrong with you. No, there's something wrong with you. Paul was on a mission. His mission was this. I will become whatever I have to become. I will give up whatever freedom I have if it means that I'm going to help this person, this group of people, take one step closer to Jesus. I'll give it up because I'm a slave of him, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And I'm willing to do that. Now, this is not just a mission that Paul's mission is not just the mission of missionaries or pastors or those with the gift of evangelism. It is for every Christ follower. It is not for the, uh, the, <laughs> the uh, elite of Christianity. This is for every follower of Jesus. If you're a Christ follower, Jesus says, come follow me. And, and he, he told his disciples to go make disciples. Jesus came. You realize Jesus came. His mission, we're celebrating Christmas. He came what? What was his mission? To seek and to save the lost. Jesus', Jesus mother was says, you will name him Jesus for why? He will save his people from their sins. That's why he came. He came on a mission. There were a number of people that tried to get him off of his mission, but he would not allow anyone or anything to keep him from his mission of saving us. And now he calls us, those of us who have had our hearts rebooted, those of us who have had our lives turned around, he says, now that you're my follower, your model is me. Your model is to do what I did. Your model is to help people and to, to understand people, not to compromise the gospel, but to become a Gentile with a Gentile, become a Jew with a Jew. And what I mean by that is, is that you, you get to know the folks that you're trying to reach. You, 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 uh, invest your life with them without compromising yours but your goal is to help them take one step closer to christ that maybe one day they will step across that line of faith and they will come to know christ because you know what somebody did that in your life somebody did that in your life somebody shared the good news to you somebody prayed for you somebody brought the good news to a place where you could hear it and receive it I want to say this. There is no greater endeavor that you can do on the face of this earth than help a person take one step closer to Jesus. Nothing. There is nothing. And that's something that every one of us can do. But it begins by understanding who I'm trying to minister to. It's allowing the Spirit of God to direct me. It's calling me to live a pure life. 
Because if I'm not living a pure life, if I'm living a compromised life, then my message is gone. Paul says this in chapter 9, verse 23, I try to find common ground with everyone. Doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. His mission is our mission. If God has rebooted your heart, He did it for a reason. It wasn't just to send you to heaven. I mean, He could have done that like that. He could, I mean, wouldn't it be interesting if the minute you, you trust Christ as Savior, boom, you're gone. You know, it's like rapture, you're gone, right? But he didn't do that. He left us here. Now, why do you think I left us here? He left us here to be his witnesses. So how are you doing? How are you doing in the area of living a life that's not compromised? And if you've compromised your life, okay, now you've got to do some damage work here, right? And it'll take some time. But once you get to that place and you allow the Spirit of God, and God uses you to help Somebody take steps closer to Christ. I got to tell you something. There's nothing on earth like it. To know that people will be in heaven because God used you is unbelievable. It's the greatest thing you could ever do. Paul says, I'll do whatever it takes to help as many people come to Christ. Paul's mission is our mission. May God help us to carry out the mission that we've been called to. Please stand with me. Let's pray. So, Father, thank you for rebooting our hearts. Thank you for giving us new life. It may be that, that there, are here, there are people here that have compromised their witness. They have, uh, they're, right now, they're currently living a life that uh, if they were to share their faith, people would go, Are you kidding me? Maybe the first thing they need to do is repent and get their life in order and allow your spirit and your word to uh, do some damage control. For the rest of us, Father, help us to become whatever we need for those who don't know you so that they can know you And use us, Father, in powerful, amazing ways that we could never believe or even understand. Use us for your glory, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.